You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. You guys just, just, I love when you say that. Back to me. This feels good. I want to welcome everybody at home right now. If you are watching online, maybe down the road, or even just live today, welcome. We're glad you're here with us. We're in our second week in a series on Rooted. And I don't know about any of you, but the winters here in Indiana can at times be long and dreadful. Praise God, help us. Okay, so what my family did is we go out, and one of the many things we do is we, we bought all these random kind of nuts that we could throw. Yes, my family's a bunch of nuts, it's true. And we can throw these nuts out into the backyard, and we watch the chipmunks, the squirrels, whatever, come and eat these nuts. And um, there's one particular squirrel we fell in love with. His name is uh, Fat Squirrel, because... He's bigger than all the other squirrels because he ate all the nuts. So we watched him one day, like not at all sharing with his nut twins. And uh, so anyway, he took all these nuts. But what was crazy is one year, a tree started popping up in the middle of our yard, and it was a tree that we don't have. And you start thinking to yourself, how exactly does this little nut get there? How exactly does that happen? Well, There are many ways that a seed can take root in the ground, a nut can get into the ground. It can either fall from a tree and just happen to roll or land where it lands, and if it gets covered up with leaves, it can kind of start to pull out these roots, it go down to the ground, it can hold there for survives for winter, it can make it, or sometimes it might fall into like an old fallen down tree that's rotted out, and so it's like the perfect conditions could take root there, or every once in a while, a squirrel, it's just dawning on me, you can't really see this, can you? If I put it over my, no, all right. So if you have, what? It's an object lesson. You know you love that part. I mean, it's the best part of the movie, right? The only reason you see the movie Ice Age is for this little guy right here and this hair hanging off him. All right, so (laughs) if you have something that intentionally plants this little thing into the ground, something big and powerful and beautiful can grow out of it which is how you end up in the back of my yard with trees that aren't in my yard. And it's that kind of analogy that I want you to have in mind today. As we go through everything, I want want you to have scrat in your head today. I want you to be thinking about this. And the reason I want you to be thinking about this is because at some point in your life, somebody invested in you to get you to where you are today. In fact, do you remember a time in your life when someone intentionally took time to invest in you specifically? Do you remember that? Now, if you were in here, you can honestly say, I don't remember it. I just want to tell you, I am so sorry. I don't believe that's what God wants for you long-term. And I'm so glad that you're here or watching online and you get to see what God does in spite of that. But you, if you remember who that person is, you remember the power of that moment, of that person pouring into you. By God's grace in my life, I've had many, many, many good and godly people, men and women, who have poured into me in very specific seasons, who've planted seeds in me that took root and took hold so that I could become the man I am today. And by God's grace, I'm not done yet. God's still bringing great men and great women around me in order to grow me and teach me even more things. So with that in mind, let's jump into our Bible for the day. We're going to be in the book of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, if you have Bible, know how to use it, great. If not, everything will be on the screen for you. And in John chapter 1, we're going to pick up at verse 29. Now, what we're going to see, excuse me for a second, what we're going to see as we go through this is we're really talking to two different groups simultaneously the whole morning. And group number one are what we might call the mentors. They're the people who are pouring their lives, investing their lives into somebody else. 
Group number two would be the mentees, the people being poured into as they are growing and a seed of faith is being planted into their hearts. So as we work our way through that, take a look at me. John chapter one, verse 29. The next day, John, this is John the Baptist, not John the guy who wrote the book. Two different Johns, not to confuse you. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And in case you're confused, I'll get to that in a second. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So John the Baptist, or sometimes we call him John the Baptizer, he's known by the fact that he did a whole lot of baptizing. Before Jesus began his ministry, John goes out into the wilderness and he starts calling Israel and saying, repent, turn to God, all of you, so that you can get your heart right for the, for the Messiah is coming. There is one who is coming. The kingdom of the Lord, the kingdom of God is coming. And so what happened is people started coming in droves. They believed that John was a prophet and they started coming to him. But John quickly started saying, my ministry isn't about me. My ministry is about someone else. And so I'm pointing to someone else. Let's pick back up here. Verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. <clears throat> I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. All right, let me just try to put a bow on this so that we can build on it for what we want to do today. In a nutshell, what John just said is Jesus is greater than him because he was before him. But if you've been tracking the story at all in Luke, which we did in Christmas time this past year in December, John the Baptist was born first. He's older. So that how could Jesus be before him if John the Baptist was older? Well, it's quite simple. Because Jesus, his origins are not just from earth. They are from heaven because he is the son of God. And John is testifying to this. So while he's out baptizing people in the wilderness, the Spirit has prepared him and given him a message. When you see the Spirit come down from heaven and descend on one, that's the one who will eventually give away the Holy Spirit. So Jesus shows up and says, John, I need to be baptized. And John says, no, 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 no. you should be baptizing me. And what's going on there is John's going, look, I'm a sinner. I realize I'm not worthy. He even says, I'm not worthy to untie your shoe, your sandal even. And Jesus says, no, 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 I need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I love that we had a baptism in both services today. It was powerful. A son baptizes dad, in case you came in late and you missed that in this service. That was amazing. Yes, that was amazing. And in the last service, a, a, a husband got baptized and turned around and then baptized his wife. It was so cool to see both of those this morning. You got to see one of them. So the reason I say that is Jesus says, I need to be baptized. Well, see, he doesn't need to have any sin washed away. He doesn't need to have a marker moment in his life where he says, I need to do this to be right with God. No, he did this for himself to give us a pattern to follow. So if you're sitting here, and this is just a little side note for today, and you've never made the decision to give your life to Christ and be baptized, what are you waiting for? Even Jesus considered his life worthy to do this. Now that being said, John then says to everybody, whoever's listening, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. But who in the world is John talking to? Who is it that he's referring to? Who is it that he's having a conversation with? Do you just walk around places saying things out loud? Well, yes, because you're a parent, many of you. 
whose toys are these? Like nobody's listening, but you just want everybody to know. Well, yes, partly John is doing that. Here's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world, but he's doing something more than that. How do I know? Keep reading. Verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. He's just saying it again. No, who's he saying it to? His two disciples. John has disciples? Yes. Many rabbis in that day had disciples. A disciple literally means a follower. Now, we've taken the word disciple and we've got it confused because today our word discipline actually comes from the word disciple. But when we think of discipline, we tend to think in one of two ways. We tend to think maybe like sports, like, hey, you gotta physically punish yourself to get in the best shape possible. You gotta be disciplined. Or we think of it in terms of parenting. Like, hey, you need to spank your child. But then try applying that same word over into what is going on with John and with Jesus and you go, I don't understand what a disciple is. Well, a disciple does have to do with getting serious and getting focused about changing our lives. More than anything, it has to do with simply following. That's what the word literally meant in the first context. So when John the Baptist has disciples, they are men who followed him around, watching what he did, hearing how he taught, and were learning his ways. And John starts to say to them, the one who I'm going to baptize and the Holy Spirit lands on, he's greater than me. You should be following him. See, throughout your life, people are going to invest in you. You may have a boss at work who's just a good man or woman, and they choose to pour their life into you. You may end up at some point, if you're lucky enough, maybe with an older friend who's been down some roads and has seen and heard some things and just decides to pour their life into you. Praise God for all those things. But ultimately, John knows something that every great mentor has to figure out, and that is my life needs to point to one very specific person, Jesus. If I only make you a better leader, but I leave you without an eternity with God, I have failed you. See, we live in a world where Christians are told not to talk about their faith. You could get fired, could lose friendships, your business might shrink. And so we, I think we have many men and women who go into their everyday lives, many of you sitting here, and you don't know what to do with it. Because Satan has figured out a way to raise fear to such a fever pitch that it seems greater than your faith. But what if, what if we were to live differently? Because see, people need friends who will enter into their world. John entered the world of the people, the disciples that he was living with. Jesus entered into the world. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is roughly 30 years old when he begins his ministry. He has spent 30 years living among the people, becoming one of them, learning their traditions, their customs, learning their language. He was fully God and fully man, is what the doctrine of the incarnation says. And so he was constantly learning and studying, becoming one with them, connecting with them, relating with them so that he could understand their story. And God is calling us to do the same thing today, to step into the lives of people and begin to understand their story. Take a look, verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, 
they followed Jesus. Now, don't metaphorize this text. They didn't metaphorically follow him. They literally followed him. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following. (laughs) They are literally, Jesus walks by and John goes, there he is, the Lamb of God. And the disciples go, yeah, just leave, John. Start walking. Jesus gets a few steps down the road. He's like, now, look at what Jesus says. What do you want? (laughs) It's so real, isn't it? Like, it's not this superficial, oh, you know, kind of moment. It's like, what do you want? They said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says, verse 39, come and you will see. Just come. You'll see. So they went and they saw where Jesus was staying. And they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. I love just the natural flow of this. I think we take these things and we spiritualize them. They are real. These are two real men who, well, we were going to spend the day following John the Baptist, but he said, this guy's a bigger deal. Let's just follow him. (laughs) We'll just trail along. And Jesus says, what are you doing? Uh, We were just going to follow you. Where are you staying? We'll follow you there. Well, come on then, Jesus says. Come and see for yourself. Okay, so first of all, look, let's just say you're watching online or listening online down the road, or maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe somebody invited you. And you've got some really big questions for Jesus. Do you think these men had some? I mean, here's John the Baptist. He's wearing camel hair and eating locusts. That's his clothing and his food. He's a a very interesting dude. But that points to the fact that he's a prophet. And he's baptizing the wilderness. And everybody knows he's a prophet, but they don't know where this thing's going. And he says, this guy's a bigger deal. They don't know squat about Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, can you explain the doctrine of the Trinity to them? He just says, just simply come and see for yourself. There is such power in looking at somebody and saying, look, I know you've got questions about why your baby died. I know you've got questions about a certain lifestyle that you believe that God is against or you've heard that God is against. I know you've got questions about what that means for you. I know that you've done some things in your past you're really embarrassed or ashamed about. I know. Why don't you just come and see for yourself? All right, but I need to know. I need to know. Do you believe in a literal seven-day creation? Why don't you just come and see for yourself? Okay, okay, I'll come and see, but, 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 I need to know, do you believe that people will actually go to a place called hell? Why don't you just come and see for yourself? Just keep showing up. Keep asking questions. Just keep engaging until you believe that there's no reason to engage any longer. But as long as you're still curious, as long as you still got questions, what do you have to lose by just saying, I'm just gonna invest a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, and just coming and seeing and following and asking questions and seeing what happens next. See, this is the approach that Jesus often took when he went places. He wasn't offensive except for to the religious elite who were supposed to have all the answers but had very few answers at all. Most of the time, he's very, very kind and gracious and merciful and loving and patient. Just come and see for yourself. Come and see. Dan Spader in his book, Four Chair Discipling, highly recommend you get this book. He says this, come and see invites people into our lives to go deeper in friendship. At the end of the day, that's what Jesus, you wanna see where I live? Come on. And they hung out with him. 
until about four in the afternoon that day. They just hung out together. Okay, so quick question. We're, we're talking about two different groups here. Group number one is those who God is investing through other people pouring into your life. He's planting a seed of faith in your life. But others of you, group number two, are those that God has already done that in your life. You've already crossed the line of faith. So for those of you who have crossed the line of faith, where are you investing your life in the friendships of people who are far from God? Here's the natural pull. It's like a magnet. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize that the group and the people, possibly the family you used to hang out with, are so far from him, your natural pull is to get away from them as fast as possible. And there can be some wisdom in that for a season while you grow and get stronger in order to, to build some boundaries in your life. However, you were never intended to stay that way. God was always preparing you to send you back into the lives of those who desperately, desperately need him, just like you did at one point when he came to you. And if we're really honest, just like we still do today. This could happen through inviting somebody to lunch or throwing a, a grill out party in your backyard or rating, renting some inflatables and having the neighborhood kids over. This could look like finding that one person at work that everybody else teases or mocks or ignores or avoids and going to them and, and blessing them and just hanging out with them. And you know what? It might mean sacrificing your lunch hour or breakfast hour or weekend, but oh, would it be worth it? And cut back now. John chapter one, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. All right, so putting the pieces together, John the Baptist had two disciples and he said, look, the Lamb of God. Both of them left John, followed Jesus. One of them, if you're still with me, is a guy named Andrew. His brother is a guy who guards the pearly gates in heaven. Okay, maybe not literally, but you've heard those bad jokes, right? Like, okay, so Peter's up in heaven, and one day this guy dies. Yeah, that Peter. So if you're visiting with us, watching online, you don't know who these characters are? That's the guy we're talking about. And he's referred to as Simon Peter. There's relevance there. Take a look. <clears throat> Where are we? Verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which is a little bit awkward, like the first time you meet a guy. What this probably means is Peter is one of John the Baptist's disciples. He's got a little bit of preparation in his head that something is coming, but he doesn't know what. And one day, Andrew comes to Peter and says, Peter, you just got to come and see this guy that I met. And so Andrew grabs Peter, and they go over, and he's like, Jesus, here's my bro. His name's Peter. And he looks at him, but see, the thing is, his name isn't Peter. That's how we know him. His name is Simon. And so Jesus looks at him, and he goes, Simon, you're going to be Cephas. Sweet. That's weird and awkward, Jesus. Like, it's like a weird, you know, episode of The Office or something. Like, okay, thank you. Have a nice day. This is powerful. Because Cephas is Aramaic. And Petros, where we get our word Peter, is Greek. And they both mean rock. This is Jesus looking at Simon Peter. And he's saying, you don't see in you what I see in you. But there's greatness. And it's not greatness because you have this hidden talent that nobody else could see or identify. It's greatness because what I'm about to do in you, my man, it's so much bigger than you can even now envision. What would that be like? To have Jesus come up to you and go, I 
I'm going to make something great out of you. Because I see in you something you don't see in you. I've been reading a book called The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. It's really, really good. I referenced it a few weeks ago. And uh, in the book, they, they use this illustration. So for this illustration, they took 44 seventh graders' papers, divided them randomly into two separate groups, and they gave a comment to each group. They stuck the comment on the papers and handed the papers back to the students. Then they told them, after they read their comments, you have the option of revising your paper and turning it back in. Remember, this is all random. So to the first group, they wrote on their little sticky note, I'm giving you these comments so that you'll have feedback on your paper. That's it. That's all it said. 40% of those kids revised their paper and turned it back in. To the second group, they said, though, I'm giving you these comments because I have very high expectations and I know you can reach them. 80% of those kids revised their paper and turned it back in. What's the difference? Well, according to them, there's four steps for every mentor process. I'll tell you two this week and two next week. But the first two is this. High standards plus assurance. High standards plus assurance. Jesus looks at Peter and says, your name is Simon. You're going to be a rock. And however you make those texts and later conversations go, where Jesus looks at him and says, and on this rock I build my church, I know this, we wouldn't be sitting here today if it weren't for Peter. Peter truly became a rock. Did he ever fail? Yeah, he did. Did he ever act like a fool? Yeah, a little bit. Was he ever headstrong in making decisions that maybe weren't the wisest decisions? Yeah but his father loved him anyway. And Jesus was committed to drawing something out of him that nobody else currently saw in him. Let me ask you a question. What would change in your life if you believe that God intends to invest in you? Look, I get it. No matter where you are right now, if you do or don't have faith, if you're exploring it, maybe you're just at the place of coming and seeing and asking questions right where you need to be. But what would change in your life if you actually believed in your mind God intends to invest in you, to grow you, to change you. See, I know what goes through our minds at this point. We've got this list of reasons why we're not good enough, or perhaps if your sin is pride, you've got this list of reasons why, well, of course he picked me. But wherever you are, know this, God intends to fashion you into somebody who is just like his son. I want to show you a text real quick. It's very early in the story. It's probably right around this place when Jesus taught this. It's in Mark chapter four. It's in a different book. And I wanna show it to you in what's called the message translation. So let me help some of you who are newer at this out. There are two primary languages, the Old Testament in the Hebrew and the New Testament in the Greek. There's some Aramaic splintered in there and there's a Greek Old Testament, but that's the primary two translations. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of these different books of the Bible. Scholars then study these and try to figure out how do we, What's the best English equivalent today to the word here in Greek and how do we make them line up? The message translation was written by a gentleman who just passed away not too long ago named Eugene Peterson. 
And Eugene Peterson had an inner city Philadelphia ministry and he was meeting with these guys who were from the inner city, a little bit rough around the edges, not super educated guys, and he's trying to make the Bible make sense to them. And it was struggling in the typical translations, the NIV or the King James or whatever. So he sat down and started translating from his training and experience what these guys needed to know from the Bible so that he could give to them an understanding. So the message translation isn't the most accurate translation, but man, I'm growing in my depth of love and appreciation of it, especially when I'm wrestling with a text. I just think Eugene Peterson brings so much insight into the way he's translated these stories. That's the context where you, so you're visiting, you're like, why does it say MSG or NIV? Those are just different translations. And the message translation of Mark chapter four says this. Then Jesus said, God's kingdom is like seed thrown on a field by a man who then goes to bed and forgets about it. The seed sprouts and grows. He has no idea how it happens. The earth does it all without his help. First a green stem of grass, then a bud, then the ripened grain. When the grain is fully formed, he reaps harvest time. How can we picture God's kingdom? What kind of story can we use? It's like a pine nut. When it lands on the ground, it is quite small as seeds go, yet once it is planted, it grows into a huge pine tree with thick branches. Eagles nest in it. Jesus often spoke in parables, and the reason that he did is so that those who did not have ears to hear would be confused. But those who were hungry and wanted to keep coming and keep seeing and keep listening to understand, when they would wrestle with it, they would get the nugget that Jesus is referencing. So what's happening here, this is not hard to get. Jesus is explaining what his kingdom is like. And it's like a seed that is planted in the ground that will grow up. And when it has fully grown, it's gonna have these big, powerful branches. So powerful that eagles can even come and nest in it. And the reason that's relevant is eagles often in the New Testament referred to Rome. It may or may not have been what that meant here. But if that's what Jesus means here, then think about it. What Jesus is saying is the very people that you think I have come to free you from their oppression, they're actually gonna come and rest in your branches. Now, it took about 300 years for that to actually take place, but it happened. In other words, let's make this really practical. What God planted in you in faith was never intended to be just for you. It was always supposed to be something that grew and grew and got bigger and stronger and more branches and a thicker base so that when the wind blew, you could stand. When the storms came, you'd be fine. And when others were tired and weary, they'd find rest in you. Let me ask you a second question. What would change in your life if you believed that God invested in you so that you would invest in others. Possibly even your enemy. We have a major problem in the church in America. A major problem. Um, I keep hearing from and meeting pastors who are a little bit older than me. They're at that brink of retirement. Some are even at the brink of death. And there's this tremendous boldness in them. And they'll all say, the closer I get to this day, the less I'm gonna leave any ambiguity as to what I'm saying. I don't wanna wait 15, 20 years, 30 years, 40, how old do you think I am? Thank you. 
I think they said 26, but they might have said 46, but we'll go with 26. Yeah, you're, you're fine. Don't say it again. <laughs> I don't want to wait to be as bold or as clear as I need to be here. If your view is that the church is for you and you have surrendered your life to Jesus, then you are stuck in a place that God never intended you to be for very long. Everybody who comes to Jesus, everybody comes to Jesus selfishly at first. I need saved. I need redeemed. I need help. I need a savior. I'm realizing just how big and amazing God is. I need you. But if that's where we stay, then the gospel did not fully take hold in our heart. The goal, the end game, if you will, was always that we would become trees who drop seeds. I forgot on that. Now, you know, trees do two things. Actually, they do many things, but their seeds either feed birds or plant new trees. That's your life. When you serve other people, you are actually feeding them. When you pour your life out and make a disciple just like you, because remember, you're being made just like Jesus, so what are you ultimately doing, making them like Jesus? Then what you're doing is planting a tree. And that's what God's end game is for you. Take a look. First John, or not first John, John chapter one, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, what? Wait a minute. Jesus grabs his dude. Come on, let's go. Philip's like, okay. So Philip runs on, grabs Nathaniel. Come on, let's go. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? I so want to name some obscure Indiana town right now. I'll resist it. But you get it, right? Nathaniel has questions. Wait a minute, I know the Bible. I have studied these texts. Can anything, I don't remember anything about Nazareth. Nazareth? And what's Philip's answer? Come and see. There is so much power in being able to look at somebody and say, look, I don't have all the answers. I know, I know. You've got questions, I do too. I only know this, come and see for yourself. Come and look into it. Come and ask questions. I'll do my best to answer the questions according to what somebody else has already poured into me. And see, this is what happens. We get so afraid we won't have the answer. But if I don't know, I'll go find out, all right? And all it, just keep coming. Just keep looking into it. Just keep showing up. Just keep asking questions. Just come and see, because I'm telling you, there's something different about this guy. What would be different in your life if you believed, you believed that God wanted to use you to do that in the life of somebody else? Again, Dan Spader, in the Four Chairs Discipling book, he says this. This is what Jesus did for us. He felt the comfort and glory of heaven. Sorry, he left the comfort and glory of heaven. And he became like us in every way. 
He went where his people were so he could identify with them and so they could in turn get to know him. Moved with great commandment love, Jesus so loved the world that he laid down his life for us. Who has God placed around you? Are you entering into their world? Would people identify you as a friend of sinners as Jesus was? There are various moments and seasons in my life where I find myself praying about this. Because like I said, the natural gravitational pull as you come to Jesus, as you start to hang around Jesus' people. Because you just enjoy their fellowship. They're peaceful and loving and kind and generous. And it's so much healthier for you. But eventually, every forest will die if that's it. Because every tree will get old. Every tree will get sick. Every tree will die. And if there's no new seeds going into the ground, the forest will die. Church, we must get out of our comfort zones. So here's how I want to close today. I want to pray for two different groups of people. Group number one, if you're watching online, if you're sitting in the room, I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. It is life-giving. Jesus intends to look at you and say, I know where you've been, I know what you've done, and I know what's happened to you, and I love you. Let me write your story. Listen, if you're ready today to have your story written, when our service is over, you can go to our Connect Hub. In, in just a moment, Daryl will come back out. He'll tell you more how to respond. Don't wait. And I'm gonna pray that God will take the seed of faith that was planted in you and grow it. But group number two, if you are sitting in here and you've crossed the line of faith, You've been united with Jesus Christ in baptism and you are ready to God, have God do something in you. I wanna pray that God will give you a specific name of somebody or something that you're to pour your life into to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for my brothers and sisters in the room who are at those very early stages of just starting to say, who is Jesus? What is God like? What does it mean to be saved? God, I pray right now for them. No matter what brought them to this place, no matter what pain or tragedy or triumph they've experienced in their life that has led them to here today, my prayer, God, is that you will grow them. May they come to know that Jesus is Lord. May you reveal yourself to them over and over and over as faithful and true, just like you did Peter and Philip and Nathaniel and Andrew, and the list goes on, just like you did me. God, I pray that Satan would not be able to come in and snatch away what you are developing in them. And God, for those who have crossed the line of faith, especially for my brothers and sisters who are sitting in here, and they love you, they love you. They have dedicated their lives to you but they're sitting on the sideline. They're watching the game take place. God, I pray right now that they would be convicted deep, deep, deep in their soul. May your spirit move. This message is for them. God, may you give them a name right here, right now. A name of somebody, God, that they are to reach out to and pour their life into. God, maybe it's a ministry, an area. Maybe it's getting up out of here and going to the counter out there and saying, I need to serve I want to become all that God has purposed for me. 
Whatever it is, may your spirit move, may your spirit speak, and may we respond faithfully. We love you, God. Thank you for all that you are doing to rewrite our story. In the name of Jesus Christ, all God's people said.